0: You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations. You'll be smarter when you get there.
1: What up? Welcome into Commute, the podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting, too. We can promise you this. You'll be the most interesting person in the room. On this edition of Commute, ever ordered something that didn't fit or that you decided that you just didn't want anymore? Today, we're going to talk about what happens to your stuff when you send it back.
0: Microsoft has recently been approved for a patent for a new form of technology that could raise the dead to life. Well, sort of. It's pretty complicated.
1: It's skateboarding, but with your fingers... Let's explore the ongoing interest in fingerboarding. All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. What happens to your stuff when you send it back? Jay, how do you feel about trying things on? Do you always try clothes on before you buy them? Sometimes? Never? How often are you entering a dressing room?
0: I typically never try things on. I just kind of buy them and I take them home. And if they don't fit, I just kind of keep wearing it and riding with it anyway. <laughs> I don't think I ever really return anything. <laughs> I have things that hanging in my closet at all. that I got home and I put it on and I was like, man, this doesn't fit very good, but it's still hanging in there.
1: You're a medium. You accidentally get a 2 i <laughs> eh, I'll deal with it. Well, Jay, a few weeks ago, my wife and I took a trip out of town, kid-free, may I add, which would be a bigger deal for you, obviously, with three kids versus me having one. But still, all parents that listen to this show know the power of a kid-free trip. Now, part of this trip was with the intention of doing some shopping. Well, because of continued COVID precautions, some places let you enter their dressing rooms and some places do not. Well, as luck would have it, my wife purchased a pair of pants at a place that does not currently let you try things on, and wouldn't you know it, Jay, the pants don't fit. So now here we are. We're hours away from this store, and we don't have this store in our town, so we can't exchange the pants. We're left with one option. We mail them back to the corporate headquarters. So Jay, this raises the question of what exactly happens when you purchase something And you can't return it in-store, and you have to send it back. Well, as with most things, it's complicated. Jay, because of the aforementioned continued COVID precautions, and honestly, just due to the rise of online shopping in general, some estimates say that nearly one-third to one-half of all the clothing purchased in the U.S. over the last year came from an internet purchase. This continued growth and the rise of online shopping has escalated one of retail's biggest problems, the return. According to The Atlantic, the average return rate of clothing purchased over the Internet is somewhere near 30%, with U.S. retailers taking back more than $100 billion in online merchandise just over the last year. So what happens when you return something? Well, usually it's one of three things. It gets sent to a discount bulk retailer. It's ripped apart and reused to be turned into something else. Or it heads for a landfill. None of those you will notice, Jay, are that it gets returned to the store you purchased it at. Very rarely does that actually happen. If this sounds really bad, Jay, it is. Keep in mind... Returning things is a relatively new concept. It's only about 20 years old. We've only been purchasing things over the internet for about the last two decades. Retail logistics is split into two different categories. There's forward logistics, and that's how things get to us. UPS, your local postal carrier, people stocking the shelves at your favorite store. And then there's reverse logistics, the time-consuming process of figuring out what to do with the stuff that people don't want. Reverse logistics is nasty, Tim Brown, the managing director of the Supply and Chain Logistics Institute at Georgia Tech, said. Sometimes consumers say they're returning X, Y, and Z, but they really return a dead rat and a cinder block. Now, Jay, while that does happen an estimated 5 to 10% of the time, most returns aren't intentionally vicious. They're just complicated. Have these jeans been worn? Is this a stain on that shirt? Or was it made to look like it had a stain on it? Some things, like makeup, swimwear, and underwear, are destroyed regardless of condition for sanitary reasons, even if they appear to be unopened. And what about donating? That feels like the correct answer, right? Nope. While it may be the best PR move for companies to donate used goods, the practice could lead to what industry experts call brand dilution. Meaning that brands operate off of the notion that paying customers will not take kindly to the things that they pay good money for being given away for free because they were returned. So where does that leave us? Well, Jay, to put it pretty simply, when you buy something from someone, if the company's somewhat big at all, it's not going to get sent back to that store. There's just too much red tape that has to be crossed for that item to be returned to that specific store. It's just too complicated. And returns don't seem like a problem that'll be answered anytime soon. Americans will most likely only spend more time on online shopping in the future. Retailers will change more to make up for the loss and landfills will continue to be the eventual home to that pair of pants that was just a tad too big in the waist. And Jay, as Amanda Mole of The Atlantic puts it, in a race to acquire new customers and retain them at any cost, retailers have taught shoppers to behave in ways that are bad for virtually all involved.
0: This reminds me of whenever I used to work at Old Navy uh, in between my college years every once in a while, you'd have somebody bring something into Old Navy that they had bought online, but it was an item that was online only, but we had to take it back in the store as a return. So then we were put in this really complicated situation because we had no idea how to charge for it. We had no idea where to put it. So we basically had to kind of like make up a price, and then we had to find a place in the store to put some random shirt (laughs) that didn't match anything and just hope that somebody bought it and most of the time they never did, but it was always just kind of worth a shot. So Dave, we have a love for a lot of movies uh, in common, and I know for a fact that one of those movies is the Joaquin Phoenix movie, Her. Her.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think her is incredible just because to me it represents what the future actually might look like. And in some ways maybe it already does. So so in her basically Joaquin Phoenix has a relationship and falls in love with a voice. It's somebody that doesn't actually exist, an automated, I guess you could call it robot-type voice, that has emotions and and can respond to what he's saying, but is not an actual physical person. And so it's it's strange, it it feels kind of lonely and weird, but at the same time, it's fascinating because as we rely more and more on technology, it feels like that's something that might actually start to happen.
0: Yeah, it's so much more relevant of a movie today than it was when it was made. So in January, uh, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because of this kind of new technology that kind of embodies what happened in that story. So in January, Microsoft received a patent for a new, very controversial form of technology that, in theory, could reincarnate the personality of someone as a chat bot. So from the language of the patent itself... It says the social data may be used to create or modify a special index in the theme of the specific person's personality. So data could include social media information and posts, text messages, or really any form of digital communication. Microsoft aims to use that information to, in essence, train a form of artificial intelligence that could then think like a specific person you know, and then respond accordingly. So like imagine typing out a letter to someone who had died and then a machine that captures their personality responds to you some hologram forms of this technology actually already exist. Uh, Kanye West, for example, famously bought his then-wife, Kim Kardashian, a realistic hologram of her deceased father for her birthday, who allegedly spoke to Kim at the birthday party about how proud he was (laughs) of her, which isn't (laughs) creepy at all. But when you imagine the possibilities of how this sort of technology could affect our world, I think we have to ask ourselves how dealing with loss and the grief process could be effective. Would technology like this offer temporary relief for someone dealing with a sudden loss of a loved one, or would it have some dangerous implications on how we process long-term grief? My fear is that it would become more like an addiction, said Elizabeth Tolliver, assistant professor of counseling at the University of Nebraska-Omaha, who studies grief. I'm concerned that people would want more and more of the technology to feel closer to the person that they've lost rather than living the life they're currently alive in. You also just have to question the morals and the ethics here of resurrecting the personality of a dead loved one for profit after they have passed on. I mean, it's sort of like level two of identity theft. You know, we live in a world in which Artificial intelligence is no longer the wave of the future. It's very much here and it's very much on track to represent human thinking. And we don't need to plug into machines to fill computers with our personality data. I mean, we do it every day on social media with every click, every post. We feed more information into this digital format as our personalities are represented more and more digitally in ones and zeros. In theory, you can represent. More and more of our personalities digitally in one and zeros. And it's not just Microsoft, Dave. According to Dalvin Brown for the Washington Post, Google has a patent for a digital clone that embodies people's mental attributes. A New Zealand software company, Unique, is marketing digital humans that recreate human interactions at infinite scale, in their words. Prion, an AI company, is working on a human personality based chatbot. And at the root of this, it's not as much dealing with loss. It's more the gold rush of predictive purchasing. If a company can connect their product to you emotionally, in theory, they can pitch you something that you will buy more effectively. And although chatbots have been around since the early days of the Internet, they're getting smarter. We're feeding them more information, and then you add in deepfake technology, and we've entered new territory. But the idea of recreating our loved ones, controversy and all, is more present than future. Here are a couple examples from Dalvin Brown at the Washington Post again. Some AI specialists have already shown it as possible on a much smaller scale. In 2016, James Vlahos, the CEO of Hereafter, created an interactive chatbot dubbed DadBot that was based on his late father. In that same year, Belarus-born Eugenia Kuda digitally recreated her deceased best friend using text messages that he had sent before dying in a car crash. When you take all of this together, Dave, there are, of course, limitations, right? I mean, humans are nuanced and we're complicated. Our life experiences on how they impact us, they can't really be created by a simulating computer. AI only knows what we tell it, and oftentimes the digital version of us is one that is not necessarily totally representative of our personality. But technology like this is not some futuristic science fiction concept. It's here. Questions, controversies, and all. This reminds me
1: of an episode of a show on Netflix called Black Mirror. You are actually the person that told me about this show, and I haven't watched many episodes of it. So I think maybe this was like a season one or a season two episode. The main thing I remember about this episode is that the guy that was in it um, was uh, one of the quarterbacks from the show Friday Night Lights. (laughs) So if you were a Friday Night Lights fan, you'll remember this guy. But basically what happened is his girlfriend died, something like that, and and he had a – and Black Mirror, just to – give a little context around this if you don't know what it is and jay you can correct me if i'm wrong but basically the episodes are kind of all about the evolution of technology when it goes wrong
0: yeah so the episode that you're talking about it's in my opinion it's the best episode of the entire show and uh it's called the episode is titled be right back it basically is telling this story like what we just talked about if that's something that interests you you should watch the episode it's fantastic and it has haunted yeah. me ever since i watched it
1: basically this guy's girlfriend dies and, it's what's well, the other way he,
0: around he dies yeah. and you learn that in like the first two minutes it's not a surprise are you sure yes <laughs> no he i thought she died <laughs> no he dies. wow what's even real <laughs>
1: Or, no, dude, he does no, not I, die. How much do you want to no, bet? I, How much?
0: I guarantee you. Give me a number. You Give me a number.
1: I will bet you $20 okay. that he is not the one who dies. Okay, go look now. That she dies. Okay, go look. Also, it's not the guy from Friday Night Lights. <laughs> he actually doesn't even look
0: like the guy Yeah, this this Friday guy's Friday name Night is Lights. like Dom and Hogg Gleason <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> wow. Wow.
1: Jay, we are people who grew up among three decades, the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Now, we just caught the tail end of the 80s, me a little bit more than you, but really, we are products of the 1990s. Because of this, we obviously have some segments on Commute that reflect perhaps a sense of nostalgia within us. Blockbuster, hit clips, we've had episodes that have been about these things. Even GigaPets, for crying out loud, and me talking about my GigaPet Yoda. (laughs) We cover it all. This next subject, though, is a little bit different. I don't have much nostalgia for this in the sense that I miss it or that I even used it. I have nostalgia in the sense that I never understood it. And I understand even less about how it's still a thing today. Jay, I am talking about tech decks the mini skateboard toy that you operate with your fingers. Basically, this was a fidget spinner before fidget spinners were a thing.
0: So were you, or I guess are you... A tech decker. I have a very complicated history with just skateboarding in general. I always wanted to skateboard, but I could just never get it right. Like I couldn't turn it very well. And so my mom bought me a skateboard one Christmas, and I only remember going down the driveway while sitting on it because I could never figure out how to stand (laughs) on it. So then I got a tech deck because I was like, okay, this will be cool. And everybody was doing cool tricks with it. And I could like never figure it out.
1: You sitting on the skateboard. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I really wanted to be good at basketball, but <laughs> I, I realized the only thing I could do was roll the ball. I'm not
0: proud of it, but it's, uh, it's the truth.
1: Well, in case you are unaware, tech decks were and actually still are the most popular brand of what's called a fingerboard, a mini skateboard toy that you operate with your fingers. These boards rose to massive popularity in the 1990s because of, you guessed it, tech deck. While fingerboards have been around since the 1970s, actually, tech decks came on the scene in the late 1990s, made from a couple of toy designers named Pete Asher and Tom Davidson. These toys resembled actual skateboards in the look and design, you could even change the wheels for crying out loud, and exploded in popularity, adventure to guess that they were the most taken toy by elementary school teachers in the 1990s and early 2000s. Hitting over $100 million in sales in 1999, just one year after the Tech Deck brand hit the toy scene. And the actual skateboard industry was also exploding in the late 90s. Skateboarding companies embraced these skateboard toys, especially tech decks, lending their colors and branding to the toys, hoping that the tie-in would inspire people like you to actually learn how to skateboard and not just ride the skateboard on their butt down their driveway. But Jay, here's where the story shifts in interest for me. While the tech deck toy skateboards surely did inspire actual skateboard sales, they were really sparking something else kids, and adults who wanted to become professional fingerboarders. Within months of Tech Decks hitting the toy shelves, a popular skating video series named 411 Video Magazine put together a video highlight called Fingers of Fury, a 15-minute video highlighting finger skaters that could pull off insane fingerboard tricks with their Tech Decks. These tricks featured many rails, duct tape pipes, and many staircases, <laughs> mimicking the tricks that were popular with actual skateboarders. And Jay, typing in Tech Deck in a quick Google search, which you could do right now, will pop up tons of articles with titles like Are Tech Decks Still a Thing? And Where Can I Buy Tech Decks? And I really miss Tech Decks. But Jay, here's the thing Tech Decks still exist, and it's a thriving company. In fact, there's an entire subculture of so called tech deck professionals, fingerboarders with large YouTube channel followings and massive Instagram accounts. Finger skateboarders meet up for in person finger skates, and actually, in Massachusetts, there's a public fingerboard park that hosts events and sells its own merchandise. And the tech decks of today are not the tech decks of Yesteryear Jay. Expect to pay anywhere from 100 to 200 dollars building your own custom tech deck board and purchasing fingerboarding, professional endorsed ramps and rails. Yes, let me say that again: fingerboarding, professionally <laughs> endorsed ramps and rails. And Jay, at the end of the day, I think that you know where I'm going with this. As humans, we are all just fascinating, interesting beings, are we not? We all want to belong. Some of us find belonging in book clubs. Some of us find community and belonging in our local church. And some of us find that meaning with other people doing skateboarding tricks with our fingers.
0: Well, it's been a consistent theme throughout the history of our nearly 40 episodes now. Uh, But one of the things that has come up over and over is that COVID has sparked two things, right? It has sparked nostalgia and it has sparked hobbies and so you combine those two things together and people get into things that they were into when they were younger they want to rediscover those things and i think a lot of it is because we've been home and we were looking for ways to connect and connecting over the internet over some sort of hobby was the way that we did it and a lot of these hobbies stuck around i'm i'm here for it little skate parks and all
1: i'm just still thinking about your parents buying you a skateboard. And then watching you out the window as you sat
0: on it and rolled They were probably so disappointed. They and were they're looking at so each other just shaking
1: their heads going, what did we do wrong?
0: <laughs> <laughs> they were so disappointed. I, I just know they had to be.
1: And that's it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Commute. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review the show on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out on social. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutethepodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Salmons. And for j and I'm Dave Kropp, we'll see you next week. Wow. You are right. Oh, yeah. All right, well, I owe you a man of my word. <laughs>